Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Blit, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. The often bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. <laughs> I don't do drugs. Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Today we're talking a film from 2020 on three. One, two, Nomadland. <laughs> Can you believe I read a thing that said that they're going to release Nomadland, hold on to your butts, in IMAX. Well, it is shot anamorphic. Okay. And so Tarantino did The Hateful Eight, which is almost entirely confined to a single room in 70 millimeter. And it's like, why? But they had expansive vistas. They filmed in Telluride in the mountains and in the snow. So I guess that sort of makes sense. And while they were sweeping vistas and scenery in Nomadland, it felt very confined in a van. And I'm pretty sure a lot of it was filmed handheld. I think it would take more just to do the credits for the additional IMAX team than this movie cost to film. (laughs) Well, okay, maybe it's not appropriate for IMAX, but the contrasting sweeping vistas and the interior van and camper and and crappy job scenes, that was kind of an interesting contrast, right? I mean, for sure. Being part of this sort of migrant or nomad workforce is that you work in these giant factories, these cavernous Raiders of the Lost Ark Amazon facilities, and then go home to your tiny little van. So two things about that. One, did Nomadland change the way you think about ordering on Amazon? And two, why don't they just stay on the job? Like some of those jobs didn't seem like they were completely seasonal. Uh, Maybe the Amazon stuff was. And she said, I couldn't tell if she was being facetious or not when she said the money is great. When the lady asked her about working at Amazon, I'm not sure if that's necessarily true. I feel like the Amazon gig was a money grab because it was seasonal and it was temp labor. I think compared to working at the wall drug, it's probably a nice payday. If the Amazon stuff was accurate, I think that they were portrayed fairly well. It was just curious in general that A, that Amazon allowed it, and B, that this was so much a story about the yoke of the dollar. And Amazon headed by the richest person in the world. And yet they're talking about throwing off or embracing the yoke of the dollar on a daily basis as a condition of their lives. I mean, it is important as much as they can go all into the wild and reject society, I guess, generally. 
still they are beholden to work and needing to trade their crafts for gas money and trading lighters and offering each other sandwiches and stuff. You still have to make money, but I think they get their freedom from stepping out of the rat race where there's never enough money. You just need and want more and more to support your lifestyle. They need just enough to support their very minimalist lifestyle and otherwise enjoy their time as they will. I'm saying that for me, I would definitely have splurged. If I were on the road, I would definitely be a seven-gallon bucketer instead of a five-gallon bucketer, even without bad knees. <laughs> You're talking about bucket toilets. See, I guess the question is, is everybody pooping in their vehicle with a little ventilation at the top? What if you don't have the ventilation in your vehicle? One of them said she was living in a Prius. Well, I think that's <laughs> the bucket is your is your night commode. Uh-huh. But most of the time, these people are in campsites. They're in hookups, places where there are, you know, permanent facilities where they can go take crap. But if you need to take a crap <laughs> in the middle of the night or if you're on the road or whatever. Because we established she was out in the open, wide world peeing at the top of the movie in like a field, unnecessarily far from her van. Like even on an empty road, you could just step outside and use the van to block you from 50% of you, right? <laughs> I agree that she was a little far away. It reminded me of when my staff took a road trip to Vegas. Everyone was drinking and <laughs> Mariana needed to pee. So everyone pulled over and uh, she decided, well, yeah, there was like 10 people <laughs> in a limo. and she. Oh, okay. <laughs> so... I thought it was like a caravan. Psst, Mariana's got to <laughs> pee. Everybody pull over. <laughs> No, she's so she, you know, it seemed common sense, right, that she would try and get as far away from the limo as possible to get some privacy to go pee out in the middle of nowhere. So she went really far away. But what she didn't really take into consideration because she was probably wasted drunk is that she actually went to like the highest level in the area so that she was kind of like on the horizon on display, <laughs> squatting and going and of pee course. for everybody to see. I'm reminded of my travels back from Vegas. It was chronicled in another movie. It was chronicled in Go, uh, the Doug Lyman movie, where I ate a giant seafood buffet, like the iodine Ooh. shrimp, uh -oh. and then immediately got on the road. Oof. So somewhere out in the desert between uh, L.A. and Vegas, there are two socks that I had to uh, sacrifice for the cause. Oh, no. Did they be... They, oh. But... <laughs> you used them to wipe? So anyway... Wait, you, two socks? Yep. Oh, yeah, Two it was socks? terrible. I mean, it's like Gandhi, right? Once you toss out one sock, maybe someone could use it, but not if they only have one, so you toss out the other one. Okay. Um, it was a, it, But basically you're saying it was a two-sock diarrhea poop. Oh, no, it was like a six one, but I, I was only wearing two socks. <laughs> anyway, um, we've come a long way because I get it that everyone has to poop, and everyone apparently poops in the closest thing they have to privacy, which is three feet from their bed, if they can swing that much. But the point I'm making is that this movie was produced in 2020, just 60 years ago. We had Psycho, which featured the first flushing toilet on screen. And in 60 years, we've gone from the first flushing toilet to not only being in a confined space with a person who's pooping, but who pooped in all the glory of pooping. Because that was not a pretty one. I don't know. That was so real that either they actually filmed Frances McDormand pooping, which I wouldn't have put past her, or somebody recorded those sounds in real time and added them in post. Either way, it was not pretty. Yeah, well, it certainly wasn't intended to be glamorous. It's more like just that we have become so, we have such a lack of self-consciousness, I guess, in that 
oh, it's improper or whatever. And Francis McDormand is going to be the one who's going to get all up in your face and your nose about it, right? Well, yeah, um, she gets full on, fully naked. You know, maybe it's a little methody to actually save the poop scene for when you've got to poop, but it could have been real. <laughs> like, like you said, I wouldn't have put it past her. Um, she's pretty raw in this film, but that doesn't come as a big surprise after she was like jumpsuited and totally stripped down in um, three billboards. Well, I can't remember the last time she was what you would call glamorous on film. She was in a Transformers movie several years ago. I thought, what is she doing here? But then again, David Strathairn, 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 if that's how you pronounce it, was in Godzilla in his military uniform. Maybe unglamorous is the word for her here, but she is probably the best. She's probably the queen of this type of performance, where it's not self-conscious, where she does whatever the role demands. And in this case, she definitely did that. They spent five months in five different states traveling and really filming this movie. And she lived for most of that, a lot of that, in her car, being her person. They asked who this character was at its core, uh, Fern. And she said, it's kind of me. It's how I would react in this situation and how she did a lot of the time when she was sleeping in her car and living on the set, if that's what you can call it, until she told the director that she it would actually be way better if she played exhausted than if she were actually exhausted giving that she was, you know, the face of this film and also a producer. Five months does seem awfully long when you have a family, right? Like, isn't she still married to Joel Cohen? Yeah. I mean, but, you know, he does his thing, too. And it's not like Joel Cohen is like, oh, I'm I'm only doing maybe Ethan. It's not like whichever Cohen she's married to is like, <laughs> I'm only doing movies in office buildings from now on, right? I mean, he's kind of out in the dirt. Yeah, I guess. Maybe, yeah. I guess they've learned to manage their separate film production and producing schedules. And the comparisons to Into the Wild are unavoidable, I think. These nomads aren't actively seeking adventure or their own deaths, but we spent a lot of time with her in the wild and floating naked in the water. She was skipping around those rocks, and I was like, please don't twist your ankle, because no one's going <laughs> to find you until you're frozen stiff. That was one of the many scenes where I thought, okay, we're about to get some drama here. <laughs> She's going to go off skipping rocks, and then she's going to realize she has no idea where she is. Yeah. And she's going to spend a night in the cold out under the stars, nearly die, and decide, hey, maybe this isn't the right thing for me or something. I don't know, have a run-in with a wolf or fall through thin ice or something. But no, alas, nothing really happens in this movie. Yeah, or if the raptors had come for her. She was lucky because David, David Strathairn, who has experience with Godzilla, found her and then they walked around the rocks together. Well, he was also like a, a park ranger or something. So I guess I'm guessing he knew his way around those rocks pretty well. I guess he just seemed to pop up wherever it was convenient. Any place she frequented, he's like, I got to get a job there. Yeah. I'm, and it's unclear maybe if he was following her and organizing these seemingly chance meetups because, you know, he was clear in that he had a thing for her. At least he was when they were at the ranch, right? And he's like, I like you. I like you around. I'd like you to stick around. And she could have stayed at the ranch, but no. She was choosing a life of isolation and solitude, I guess, after losing her husband. Because it was also clear that... She chose to be alone. She chose this lifestyle. It wasn't for lack of another place to go or to live. She had options. So let's talk about it. Because 
you would think that for this nomad culture to exist and everybody to proudly embrace it, that they were all choosing to live this lifestyle. Maybe it's possible some of them didn't have places to go, but this course was set in motion not by her choice where she's like, you know what, I'm going to go off to Alaska and live by myself because I'm tired of my parents fighting and them buying a car for me and all this, you know, crass materialism like into the wild, but rather she was in a stable home with a husband and then she was displaced and chose this life. I struggle with this movie in trying to figure out how much of this was a lifestyle choice or her running from everything and everyone. I'm pretty sure she was happiest when she was on the move. Mm. Those were the times that she seemed most at peace, whether she when she was driving from place to place, singing, whether she was walking Buffalo. from her hookup site to someplace else on the campground. I mean, there were probably a hundred sunset shots in this movie. Yeah, she got up really early. She's like, I'm nothing. If I can't mark my time by the sunrise, I'm going to see all the sunrises. Well, I mean, when you're out in the wild, don't you kind of get up when the sun gets up and go to sleep when the sun goes down? See, I guess that was the case. But I'm just saying, for this movie, I feel like we got the sunset shots, sunrise shots or sunset shots. And Chloe Zhao, the director, was like, are we getting up early again? And Francis McDormand was like, this is when I'm up. But you want to shoot this movie or not? Let's go. Come on. <laughs> just like that. too. Yeah, that was That's my good. impression. That's good. She was happiest in transition because I don't think she was ever comfortable in inertia. I didn't even get the sense that she was comfortable in her home in Nevada, except maybe for the fact that she was with her husband, who smelled nice. Okay. I mean, she only visited her sister out of necessity. She had flat tire. She was out of money. She had to go and visit her. I think it was an engine thing. I think that was yeah, the yeah, the engine thing. thing. Sorry, she had, but she had the opportunity at any given time to knock on her sister's door, and she didn't do it until she had to because she needed the money to pay for her van. Despite the fact that it wasn't the wisest investment, that's not what this is about. It's not even about money. It's just getting from one real life cost to another. It's not like twenty five hundred dollars was life altering. It was just money that they spend differently than a lot of other people. But she could have gone to her sister whenever she wanted. And so it's a lifestyle choice, but not for lack of other options. You know, they were awestruck by the idea of the big fancy RV, which still would allow for their lifestyle, but undoubtedly to some of these people would have been selling out. Sure. There's an impractical fantasy element of the RV, just like us walking through a big mansion being like, whoa, wouldn't this be awesome? Except it comes with all of its own, you know, more money, more problems. Kind but of then thing. it just makes you depressed to tour a giant house that you can't have. Not if you realize and draw the, and make the correlation that like, I mean, when you say more money, more problems, could you make the opposite argument? Less money, less problems? <laughs> I guess so. So... Frances McDormand is not a nomad, although she looks like a nomad. She said that one of her favorite quotes from another movie was when someone said that a close-up on Frances McDormand is like visiting a national park. And she's never been high on the polish or whatever. I think she's perfectly fine looking, a really good actress and super relatable and, and approachable looking. So much so that somebody approached her on the set of this movie and offered her a job thinking that she would, you know, I mean, she just, she looked at home and in place in this Chameleon. movie 
And there's a difference between her saying, I feel like this character would have short, practical hair that would be easier to manage and not have to deal with like shampoo and stuff. Where is she going to do it? Where is she going to do her hair in the van in the middle of nowhere? But the actual Frances McDormand was cutting her hair in that bathroom full of moths around the light. And I'm guessing there was no moth wrangler in this movie. And that's when this movie became kind of real to me. And I was like, she really is in some janky bathroom with a camera person in the corner cutting her hair. And, you know, the other characters, I don't think, aside from from Dave, who was played by Dave, there was a single other actor in the movie. I mean, there were, I looked him up on IMDb and Janky, what was her name? Shabby. S- stanky swanky yeah it was uh, well, you know she's on imdb as an actress known for nomadland except nomadland is her only credit and the same for fanny may what was her name linda may linda may was actually going to be the central character and francis mcdormand was going to play the linda may type character that that actress ultimately uh, embodied but it was curious too when she went to that hotel or she was talking to the lady who managed the space where she was telling her how long she was going to stay there right the amazon space well whatever when she approached that one lady and the lady couldn't find her reservation yeah yeah that was amazon yeah she said look under fmd Oh, because Frances McDormand? Maybe. All I'm saying is that this movie had a very real feel. So Frances McDormand is how this movie gets made, and then you populate it with real, authentic nomads to lend all that credibility to this to the story and then you, you know, sprinkle in some practical uh, non-actor moths and there you got it. It's Nomadland. Okay. You're transported into this world. And so there's a Nomadland book, I guess, around the closure and the folding of the real empire community and the drywall factory. Or the Quartzsite or something? Well, yeah, Quartzsite is right near the border. It's on the uh, Arizona side. I've spent a lot of time there, too much time there for my personal taste. Not, Not to say that I went into the bars or anything, but it's definitely out in the middle of nowhere. Fern's visit with her sister was so important for us understanding Fern as a character because... It's then that the sister reveals how Fern was always kind of a misanthrope. She was always kind of a outsider. And her sister said something to the effect of, you are just more brave than the rest of us. And that really hit a nerve with me because it made me think, are the nomads brave? Are they or are they just living the life that they choose or that's, you know, kind of available to them given their resources or does it require bravery i have the same question because francis mcdormand said it takes a lot of courage to commit to the life and i am an admirer something like that the first part is verbatim and i thought courage look you and i are spoiled rotten where we don't have to consider things like this right like our big problem when we got up this morning was whether or not to make the food that's available in the fridge or to drive to santa ana to get a breakfast burger on a pretzel bagel bun kind of thing because it's special and has onion jam delicious but it seems like their courage comes from having to go through the motions every day our lives yours and mine don't feel particularly brave because we don't feel the hardship pressing down on us every day and so yes it i guess in in a way it requires courage to commit that doesn't mean it's the bolder choice it's by necessity and it's a harder life which requires a more fortified constitution to endure yeah i can see that if you could live more comfortably easily 
but you have convictions and you've committed to this lifestyle, then maybe that takes some courage because you are choosing to be different, which always takes some bravery. And you have to acknowledge the extra courage it takes to get out of your van every morning. An hour into this movie, which seemed like a lot more because of how repetitive it was, I know that we still have to go to Swanky's funeral because she obviously set that up right. with the whole I throw, I hope people throw rocks in the fire thing or whatever. Uh-huh. I was like, so, so, you know, let's get to the funeral so that we can get to whatever the end of this movie is because I'm guessing at this point that we're not really going anywhere and then I'm already anticipating the total anti-climax that will be the end of this film. Inevitably. And it couldn't have been anything other than an anticlimactic ending unless she had just kept on going and Thelma Louise off the cliff or something. Or someone had struck her and, and, and altered her life in another course because it wasn't going to be the sedate life with Dave and the family and the dog. I mean, it's clear that she's not going to have this happy fairy tale ending with her, the love of her life that she met on the road. And now they settle down peacefully to watch his grandchildren grow on a ranch and in some beautiful place in California. Like, that's not Fern's fate. But maybe this film shucks convention like the nomads themselves. And the director is saying, you don't have to have big dramatic events to have a compelling story. You know, she doesn't have to get lost. She's not going to get, you know assaulted although i was waiting for gas station of course you were you think something dramatic is going to happen because that's what we are conditioned to to see and perhaps the filmmakers were trying to communicate something through the lack thereof but i don't necessarily think that that makes for a compelling film i think it straddles a line because as, as much as that would have been a dramatization of the nomad life culture and certainly that happens Um, you know, people getting assaulted and having their stuff stolen. Still, I do think this film was striving to be a romanticization, a romanticization, a romanticalization of this lifestyle. Even as much as it wasn't glamorous or even necessarily fun, there was certainly a sense of community. There was a sense of human connection. And it was it was watchable because Frances McDormand is so great and you can see so much in her face, I wouldn't quite call it a national park, but she is really good at her tight-lipped reactions. This forces me to, in a way, reevaluate the process of filmmaking where it doesn't adhere to the conventions any more than the nomads adhere to the conventional lifestyle or that which is expected of the American consumer. This movie is about moving from place to place and the blending of time. And you mark your time by major events that happen happen in your life, which are almost invariably setbacks. Right. And so for the anticlimactic ending, it doesn't matter where Fern is going next. She'll repeat this cycle and it seems like she's free, but she's sort of bound by where she can work, what she can do to perpetuate what I don't know, a nomad lifestyle, I guess. She's just doing the human duty of maintaining life until it's her time to go. I mean, I get it. I get minimalist filmmaking to complement a minimalist lifestyle. I think execution and story-wise, this was very appropriate for the world that this is, that Nomadland exposes us to. Now, 
In watching Nomadland, the filmmaking technique so resembled a documentary, I had to stop and kind of reset my thinking maybe 15 or 20 minutes in the film to be like, I'm taking all of this as complete truth. Like this is a documentary. If this was a documentary, it would have been extraordinary. And it could have been. As a documentary, this film succeeds so beautifully because you're given access and, and insight into this world that you wouldn't otherwise have seen. But because it's narrative, I think they should have used more to make it dramatic, more fulfilling and satisfied as a narrative feature film. Interesting. I didn't feel the need to make that distinction. I don't know that just a flat-out documentary would have altered it all that much. If Frances McDormand is actually living the lifestyle and she's just going by a different name in this movie, and realistically she can go back to her, you know, multi-million dollar house or whatever. Her, her apartment in Manhattan. Does it make it less real? I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know that it matters. I guess for Fannie Mae and Screech, it doesn't. It wasn't that big a change because they're probably still out nomading around. It sounds like Nomadland worked for you. It did, but I'm tr- I can't figure out another way for it to have ended. Nothing big happens because nothing big really happens in Nomadland. Every time I drive through Quartzite, I'm not like, I wonder what's changed since the last time I was here three months ago. I'm guessing not a lot. I don't think Frances McDormand gives a crap about grabbing you at all. I think that just her raw, unvarnished look at a person's life living in a van is effective enough so that Kelly gasped out loud when Dave dumped her dishes on the ground. Like, that was horrible, and nothing happened. Like, that was the biggest gasping moment of the film because it was effective. A perfect little moment to illustrate impermanence and also accepting imperfection. You know, those little things that she was holding on to, they're gone. They're not. She kintsugi'd it. But she pieces them. I know. That's right. She pieced it back together and she accepts her little imperfect existence. So not a lot happened, but I guess not a lot did have to happen for it to be effective. So what's your rating? Frances McDormand is great. All she has to do is be on screen and think about stuff and her eyes move a little bit and you change the lighting on her and you're like, ooh, profound. And I love that she's literally willing to get dirty. In my mind, she's actually pooping. And then as soon as they called cut, everybody was laughing hysterically and ran away from that stinky van. <laughs> let's, just, let's just put it this way. That water she was floating in, not heated and probably really cold. And, and I like it. I like what she does because certainly she doesn't have to be flashy, but she's super strong and she's a good actress and she's smart and she's producing her own movies that are out in the out in the rough, down in the dirt kind of stuff. And in, in that way, she's really admirable. And I find her super watchable. It felt real and good and also very bad and heartbreaking because this life, I think, is heartbreaking. It takes a lot of courage to commit to this kind of movie. And I'm glad we have Nomadland. It didn't, as one of the blurbs on the cover or on the poster suggested, possibly change my life. But I'll give Nomadland a solid all right. Brian and I have been in this mood where we're like, we just really want to watch a good movie. We watched The Father and Brian was like so disappointed. We watched Nomadland and he called it So Bad Land. <laughs> Brian did? <laughs> And I have to admit that this 
conversation has changed my thinking a little bit. I have more appreciation <laughs> so, for Nomadland having so talked about land. this with you. <laughs> it definitely held my attention. Like you said, Frances McDormand is amazing. She is the epitome of female empowerment in films, not only because she plays really strong characters, but because her strength and stuff isn't about being a woman or like being particularly feminine, but just being like smart. She'd drop into Wonder Woman's shopping mall in insensible shoes and be like, all right, let's stop this. Okay. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Wonder Woman is exactly what I was thinking about. Like if you want to do film female empowerment, then like in a weird way, Nomadland kind of does it better than Wonder Woman. <laughs> so my, so my official rating on So Bad Land is good. So good land. So thanks, Wes, for helping <laughs> crystallize, my, <laughs> crystallize my thoughts and feelings around this film. Uh, I definitely think it's an interesting film that blurs the line between fiction and nonfiction and transports us and immerses us in another world that may not change our lives, but will definitely cause us to pause and think about kind of our own lives. And for those of us who live in more comfort, you know, like... There really isn't a safety net, even though we'd like to think our padded bank accounts or jobs or whatever can be those things. Like, we always have the option of just going nomad landy. Dad, I think, wants to do it, right? Dad? He would like to have been Cousin River and doing the thing all around all right. on his own. But, I mean, I think what it comes down to is this movie, Fern can go anywhere. But at some point, you're like, where's left to go? Well, you all, but I mean, can she go anywhere? You kind of always make a choice, right? Like money as kind of vilified as it can be does mean freedom, but also lack of money or lack of having to have a full-time job and the lack of a whole bunch of, you know, possessions that you have to pay for. Like that's freedom too. Everyone's got to kind of strike their balance with freedom and how it relates. I could see dad romanticizing this life. I could see mom appreciating it but I certainly couldn't see her living it I could see myself living it but I think the big drawback for me would be like access to healthy fresh food do you have a like a romantic grounded closer to the earth kind of a profession because I do well, ironically, it's what Frances McDormand could be doing that she's choosing not to do I always thought that writing in a log cabin with the Coens and then going outside and like walking around in nature and then coming back to like hot steaming soft key or some kind of like frontier meal would be kind of cool. <laughs> Myself, berry picker. <laughs> berry picker? That's you on your own, formulating ideas. And then I retire to my little shack just at the corner of the field and I write by candlelight or invite some people over to play music and you play your banjos and your fiddles into the wee hours of the morning and then you get up and do it all over again. Yep, any one of us, Frances McDormand definitely included, could cash out right now and do that thing. The uh, early retirement that she's looking for, she says she likes to work because she wants to work, but that doesn't mean she likes to work. She's doing out of necessity. And anybody who can retire and could and who wanted to subject themselves to this kind of lifestyle in their retirement, anyone who's listening to a podcast right now could definitely do that. Cash it all in, go be a berry picker, and retire in peace in Nomadland. But always listen to or whatever movies. Yep. So there you got it. Uh, <laughs> an all right from Wes, a good from Iris. That's our review on a film that blurs the line between documentary and narrative filmmaking. So good. Nomad so good. Land. So good. 
So good land. 818-835-0473. Leave us a voicemail. Or whatever movies at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and we'll see you down the road. Sounds good. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together, we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric Acid.